Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to my feed. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Please spread the word about this podcast to all your friends. Please listen to as many episodes as you possibly can within your lifetime. Every single download helps us make more podcasts. What a wonderful system. It's, it's called Symbiosis, my friends. You get free podcasts and I make more podcasts until I am dead. Now, this is... A, I don't know if we can really call this a retro rehearsal, but I think we will, but it's... Uh, a very special one. The guest is the greatest comedian working in the world today, though often not acknowledged as such, shamefully. Uh, this goes back to being a Kickstarter reward, I think, that uh, when we were doing Kickstarters to help pay for the filming uh, in the Les Square Theatre, um, I interviewed myself. But how, Rich? Well, in an embarrassing and weird fashion. That is the answer. So although it was some time ago, and if you want to hear me being interviewed more expertly, go to episode 300, where John Robbins interviewed me. Um, but you can, you, you know, you want to hear the master interviewed by the master. And that is me interviewing me. You can listen to my snooker. You can listen to my ventriloquism. But you'll never quite get the real me interviewing the real me. The guest is Richard Herring. Don't think it's been heard before by the non-Kickstarter buying public. So please enjoy me asking myself, I imagine, all of the stupid questions I ask all those other pricks. Thanks for listening. Spread the word to your friends. Probably don't spread this one as the first one they listen to. Do one of the good celebrities. All right, see you in a bit. (laughs) 
Lyndon, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who is about to commit the most self-indulgent thing he has ever done. And that is saying something. Is Richard Herring! Hey, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to a very special Richard Herring's secret Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Or uh, as I was, uh, you know, I was uh, in Cannes Film Festival. And quite a lot of the cool and eight-year-old movie executives there were calling it rehearsed. So that is... <laughs> I should plan that, really, before I do I should work something up before I come on. Uh, so uh, I'm wearing my, uh, a new T-shirt my wife bought me for Christmas. She, she was so excited. She's given it. It's October. Uh, she's given it. She couldn't wait to give it to me. Uh, which will mean nothing to you, because you're not cool like I am. Uh, this is Mr Poopy Butthole from, uh, yeah from Rick and Morty which if you haven't watched Rick and Morty you must watch Rick and Morty it's all on YouTube it's good isn't it you've watched it obviously you're a nerd so uh, it's uh, and I am a nerd too because I've got the t-shirt that's Mr. Mr. Poopy Butthole he's my favourite sitcom character he's only really in one episode then he crops up a couple of other times seriously it's the best thing you, uh, you'll be glad uh, you watch this just for that piece of information in fact don't watch the rest of this just go and watch Rick and Morty it's like Back to the Future it is. But, and in fact, if, as an interesting point with this, I saw the, um, someone sent me the link to the original cartoon of it, which is just about uh, basically uh, Martin McFly licking uh, the doctor's balls to make stuff happen. <laughs> and I don't know how, it's by Dan Harmon who did Community, and I don't know what part of him saw that and thought, oh, we can make this into a brilliant series, <laughs> but we're going to take out the licking the balls aspects. Because that's the main thing. So it's, it's an amazing piece of genius. But uh, Dan, Dan Harmon, who I've got to... I should, let's do a Kickstarter to get him to come over to do, to do one of these. Anyway, look, uh, we, I'm very excited. Uh, I can't believe it's taken so many episodes to get our next guest, <laughs> next guest on uh, the show. He is uh, probably best known for his role... I mean, there's, a lot, there's so much I could choose. Uh, let's see, he's famous... He's probably best known, I think, as Percy the Shepherd from... <laughs> from the TV show Servants that kind of failed because it went up against Big Brother and no one saw it but it was it was good will you please welcome it's Richard Herring ladies and gentlemen here he comes thank you very much yeah it's uh, thanks for having me it's lovely lovely to be here it's embarrassing we're um Wearing the same T-shirt. I thought when my wife got me this, I thought this was uh, kind of a one-off thing. No one else would have this in the UK, but uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, so what do you uh, remember about the uh, about the being Percy in, uh, in, the, in the Shepherd in Servants? Well, you know, I, not many people bring that up. I'm surprised. I wouldn't have said that's what I'm best known for, but. Uh, it was quite... I don't really... I've never really been asked to be in anything that I haven't written as an actor, so that was quite unusual. I think I got the part of Percy the Shepherd because my friend from school knew the casting director of Servants and he said, we need someone who can do, like, a, a yokel accent. And he said, oh, Richard Herring will do it. So, you know, my, my management have never got me any acting work, but my, <laughs> luckily, you know, my friend from King, the Kings of Wessex School in Cheddar... Uh, knew someone so I went and did an audition and I knew when I did the audition that I had nailed it and I was going to get the part and that's the only time that's happened to me in my entire life and, uh, and I did it and I went out to Bristol somewhere to film it in a stately home uh, that guy from EastEnders was in it Joe 
Absalom, is that his name? Uh, and uh, I haven't thought about it. And I had to dress up as a, a shepherd from the 18th century, but he was welcoming the... He'd been dressed up by the, ma- the master of the house to welcome them in as a, it was a pastoral idol. So he was annoyed about having to dress up in traditional shepherd gear because he was a shepherd, but he wasn't a traditional shepherd. So he had a, like some sheep on a string and bows on them and stuff and a big crook. So it was, uh, you know, it was quite... And I remember um, when... I mean, you know, no one's asked me about this. It's a uh, <laughs> weird thing to have to think about. I'm not, I wasn't really prepared for you to bring this up. And uh, I remember it's like standing there and, and this kind of stagecoach thundering towards me and uh, it was quite scary and I had to not look scared but it felt like it was going to hit me and the director saying, yeah, if that had gone wrong that could have been the end of a promising acting career there. So uh, it was nice to hear that he wasn't convinced that the thing would go well himself. So that was, uh, that was nice. But yes, that's, that's really good. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's so many different things to talk to you about. I could have also said you were best known as Hamlet. You played Hamlet in the West End. Uh, early on in your career that is almost true Richard I almost did play Hamlet I was uh, very early on I was cast in I was it, weirdly I was going to go Edinburgh one year and there was um, they were doing Beyond the Fringe and they were, it was a rubbish idea they were going to redo Beyond the Fringe and do the Beyond the Fringe scripts uh, and uh, I nearly got cast as I don't guess I, don't know, I think it was probably the Peter Cook role which was ridiculous or maybe it was Dudley Moore and uh, uh, but I didn't get it but the director liked me so then she was doing a Hamlet lunchtime variety show of lots of different sketches involving Hamlet and she cast me as Hamlet in that which was the straight part in all of the sketches and I wasn't very good at it and so um, they sacked me a week before uh, it was on and I never got to play in the West End as Hamlet but I very nearly did well that is very interesting Richard That's, uh, I've never heard that anecdote told before for a good reason I would say um, Kate Copstick, the uh, Scotsman cr- uh, critic, was in that cast as well. I don't know if she remembers me from being in it, but I, rem- or I remember doing a sword fight thing. We were taught to do sword fights, and I was not good at that. And then I, I kept on swinging the sword around and was told off. <laughs> and then that night they rang me up and said uh, I had to go home and they wouldn't have me in it anymore. So yeah, it could have been, been an exciting time. It really could have been. Yeah, you are right. Uh, but... <laughs> Recently, um, you've been doing... Or you've done a lot of one-man shows. You've done 12 one-man shows, and you've been recently been here at the Leicester Square Theatre doing all 12 of those shows. Yeah, it's uh, the 12 shows of Herring. Um, what was that like, going back over your work? I can't imagine how... How do you, re- how do you remember all the stuff? That's what I would get to me. How did you remember all of the... I couldn't do that. So how, how did... How did you... I just, it was difficult. I, did, I, was, I, I wanted to do it. I thought I would do all 12 shows in 12 days. It was, I, was, I was sort of making the point. I didn't want to go to the Edinburgh Fringe, so I, I just I had I'd been up for a long time, and I'd lost lots of money the previous year, and I thought I'd rather stay at home, but I wanted to do something that was a bit of an adventure and a bit of a challenge. And I originally said, can you book the Les Square Theatre for 12 nights in a row, and I'll just do the 12 shows in 12 nights. I'm pretty glad... That that didn't happen because <laughs> I did six weekends of two shows, and I, so basically each week I would just listen to the. I, I luckily have all the shows recorded by uh, Go Faster Strike. You can do some amazing things with technology, Richard. <laughs> you would not believe what they can do, uh, and uh, uh, and so I was able to listen to them all, and, and it kind of got in by osmosis. I think I would do a few little tryouts of the shows, uh, but. Um, but basically, I often got here and I realised I hadn't really learnt the second half of the show. I'd been concentrating on the first half. Because I start from the beginning every time, you know, that's what you do. 
Uh, and then go, oh yeah, probably know it. Uh, and uh, the second half did usually just come out somehow. The, the biggest challenge, I suppose, was that I had to write a new show. I should really have done one or the other, but I, <laughs> I had to write a new show for the end, and I didn't have any time to rehearse that because I was rehearsing all the other shows. Uh, but that's called Happy Now, and somehow it came out. You can come and see it on tour, Richard, if you want. But no, I don't want to come. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of a lot of hassle. I've seen most of your shows. <laughs> I think I'm not going to come to this one. Um, and, uh, well, you know, you've got, you've got... I'm going to ask you a lot of the emergency questions, but I do want to talk to you about your career as well. Uh, and uh, it's kind of an interesting start to your... You started at a university where you met uh, Stuart Lee, I believe. I don't know what's happened to him. He's disappeared off the radar a bit. Uh, but... Um, uh, and uh, you got into sort of student comedy through that. Yeah, it was... Well, again, this was a... It was sort of weird because we were... It was a time when... Um, Stand-up was very much in the predominant in, uh, in, in Edinburgh. It was just sort of coming in and taking over. And student comedy, the, certainly the Oxford and Cambridge uh, stuff, was, seems very passé. And there was a lot of anger towards the Oxbridge supposed mafia coming in and taking all uh, the jobs. Uh, so I just had a really horrible time in that. Was my second Edinburgh where I did the Oxford Review, where we were booked to do the Gilded Balloon. And all the comedians in the, in the town turned up to heckle the Oxford Review uh, so even though I can understand why they would do that, uh, they were essentially just bullying some 19-year-old children <laughs> with uh, what other people had done before them. It wasn't really our fault. So if we'd all been to comprehensive school and got into Oxford fire, I had getting good A-level results, which seems like a good thing to me. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they, they took out their anger on us a little bit. And I think we, uh, it, was, it was a difficult thing to get through to realised that I was, you know, I think psychologically it felt like, certainly in the stand-up community, that uh, they hate, I was hated before I even started. Uh, so that meant when I came to London and started doing stand-up, that was, I, you know, I felt like I ostracised already. Uh, whereas Stuart hadn't been in that show, uh, he'd written it with me, and, uh, and then he didn't experience this, and then he was very happy to come to London and, and be in the stand-up thing. So I think I was very much skewed towards wanting to do sketch comedy and prove that sketch comedy was good and stand-up was rubbish. Uh, and I was incorrect <laughs> about that, but that was, uh, that was my uh, belief. Uh, and I slightly lost my bottle uh, with that. Funny, I met uh, Patrick Marber last night at, uh, at Steve Coogan's 50th birthday party. Because you go to a lot of showbiz events. I go to a lot of showbiz events. <laughs> You're not invited to them. I go to loads of them. Uh, and... Uh, we used to tell, you know, we had this kind of weird thing where me, Stuart, and uh, Simon Munnery, and Steve Coogan, and Patrick Marver, after doing On the Hour, we kind of did a stand up show, a sketch show in, in Edinburgh, trying to reclaim this sketch show. And it just didn't really work out. We, didn't, we sort of all rubbed each other up the wrong way. And, um, and again, I, I'd really lost my bottle, and they didn't really, some, some like Steve and Patrick, they were very disparaging of me as a performer. And uh, that, that added to me kind of losing my performing bottle. But I talked to. Um, I talked to Patrick last night. He was very upset that we joke about him all the time. Uh, and genuinely, I was surprised how upset he was, Richard. I, was, I thought he would understand it was a joke. To, to, like, to deliberately prolong an argument from 25 years ago that wasn't really very important. And as the lesser in the two, you know, I, think I said to him, look, you've been amazingly successful as a playwright and screenwriter, so the idea of me co- carrying on going on about you is clearly a joke aimed at myself. Uh, which he felt a lot happier afterwards. I, I felt very, I felt very. He said, he said to me that his kids are going. Why do these people hate you so much? <laughs> and he says, I don't know why they do it, Rich. And I said, Well, there's a little bit of truth in it, Patrick. You were a bit of a prick uh, during that 
but it's, you know, we were all... Bit, it's interesting. We were all very ambitious, I think, in our own different ways, and uh, we kind of chose to portray Patrick as more ambitious, and maybe he was more ruthlessly ambitious in some ways, but we were all ambitious as well. So, uh, you know, there's no genuine enmity there, which I'll say to some people who have paid a thousand people who've got this DVD. Uh, nobody else will know that I've apologised. I've apologised. Uh, so... Uh, it seems to be flagging a bit. So what I have, I don't know this, what I have uh, is, uh, I've got a lot of emergency questions. Uh, so um, I will, uh, I'll try you out on, I don't know if you've thought, that there'll be things you won't have thought of in this. So uh, we've, uh, would you have to choose between having a hand made out of ham or an armpit that dispensed sun cream? Which of those two things? Well, what? So what? Uh, do you, uh, what do you mean? A hand made... So what? My hand is made of ham. It's made of ham, Richard. But you can... You can eat it, but some... I've never heard of such ridiculous question in my life. Uh, what, do, what do people normally say? I don't know. Most people choose the ham hand. I'll have that then. Uh, uh, and have you ever tried to suck your own cock? Yes, obviously, everyone has. I, and I successfully got the tip in. So I was actually thinking, I knew that question was coming up, and I meant to last night have another go and see how I got on, because that was when I was 14 and could get erections. Uh, and, uh, but instead I got incredibly drunk, and uh, I really would not have been able to... I, if I'd bent round, I would have been sick, and certainly my shriveled old man penis would have been, far, would have been hidden by my uh, corpulent... Uh, belly. Good, uh, so... And have you ever seen a ghost? No, I'd have not, I've never seen a ghost, because ghosts do not exist. So, but sometimes I have been scared of things, um, and, you know, that you think that they're a ghost. There was a mouse in my apartment in uh, Amsterdam recently when I stayed there that I thought was a ghost, but it turned out to be a mouse. But it could have been the ghost of a mouse. We don't know. That's, you don't know, do you? It's like when I was talking to John Finnemore, he didn't know that it could be a real person, or who's just wandered into his room with a baby and got the wrong room. <laughs> don't know if you remember, do you remember that podcast? It, don't really, well, I do so many podcasts, I can't expect to remember, like, one guest's answer to... Have you ever seen a Bigfoot? No. <laughs> um, and I've got some new emergency questions that I think might be more, more interesting uh, to people. Um, so... Um, Uh, just try, uh, try the, uh, if you had this is a good one if you had to go for a week's holiday with one of the puppets <laughs> from Spitting Image which would you choose and remember of course that the puppet of course remember <laughs> the puppet would choose the destination the puppet would be operated by a man and an impressionist but they would be in character and choose the destination uh, I did write for Spitting Image it was one of the first jobs we uh, me and Stuart had we um, got two sketches on I think uh, and after trying, getting, we were a bit too weird and esoteric for it, really, and they wanted to kind of more Route One stuff than we were prepared to give them. Uh, one of the sketches we did for Spitting Image, the producer was called Bill Dare, and we wrote a sketch called Bill Dare's Bottom, which it sounds a bit like Builder's Bottom. <laughs> and the sketch was that Bill Dare's Bottom was in the sky, uh, making commandments to people or something. <laughs> we bothered writing that up and giving it into him, and he didn't. 
he didn't put that on. I, you know, it would have been self-indulgent. It would have been self-indulgent to put that on. Uh, I think I would choose the Doc Cotton um, puppet, which I did have a sketch, uh, I think I mentioned in one of the podcasts, about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Doc Cotton uh, teaming up as an unlikely pairing of cops who didn't get on initially but then learned to work with each other and <laughs> proved an effective policing team. Uh, and uh, I just quite... That she, that's quite a funny character, but also she's a bit more... Uh, mordant and sardonic and you know it'd be fun to but I guess I don't know where she would go on holiday the, the, I know where Doc the character of Doc Cotton would obviously go just to the seaside but what would the puppet of the character of Doc Cotton I don't know where it would choose to go and is it June Brown or is it Doc Cotton that's the question you have to ask with that so if she's not on Spitting Image is she June Brown and she'd probably go, she'd probably go somewhere quite nice because she must be quite rich uh, having been on a soap opera forever uh, and still working well into it Hope she's not. She'll probably be dead by the time some of you watch this. <laughs> not taking the piss out. She's alive at the moment. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that's good. Uh, and uh, uh, do you think? What do you think about having sex with robots? Now, is that? I would like to have sex with a robot. My wife says I'm not allowed to, and she considers it would be cheating. But I would say it's not cheating because it's a, not a person. It's a robot. I'm 100% behind you on that. I don't, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that can be said enough, actually. I think that should be... The more of to reiterate that it is OK, because it's coming in. Uh, Craig, who's one of the cameramen, showed me a link to something that says it's actually coming in in 10 years. I've been told 50 years. But in 10 years, you'll be able to have sex with a robot. And I'm, I'll be up for that. I'm still, there's still a chance I'm going to be alive and still operational. Uh, and maybe if I'm not, they can give me some kind of robotic penis that I can use to have... S- I mean, if you didn't even use your own penis, if you had a robotic extension you put on your penis... That you can, that's just a, a metal thing entering a metal thing. That means, like, every time you knit that you're cheating. <laughs> so, to me, that, was, that would not be cheating. So I'd, I would willingly chop off my own penis, have it replaced with, a, like, a Robocop penis, and then I'd have sex with a robot, and my wife could not complain about that. You are definitely right. And um, <laughs> is sex with a ghost cheating, though? No, that's not cheating either. That is because the ghost is dead, isn't it? So that's... That's like saying having sex with a dead body is cheating. <laughs> and it isn't. Because it's, it's just some biological mass, isn't it? And then with a ghost, it's not even that. It's, a, it's made of plasma or something, ectoplasm. Good point. Uh, I think we might accidentally have uh, switched around the wrong way. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to ask you questions. No, I've got to, I've just, I've got to ask... I've got to ask you questions, so make don't don't you start don't Louis Theroux me, mate. This is I'm I'm asking the questions here. So your eyeline sort of slight. Why are you looking down? You're looking not while my face up here. See your eyeline seems to be looking at like the the this arm of the chair. I don't think so. It's fine. Uh, so you do seem slightly obsessed with these sort of slightly indulgent things where you uh, talk to yourself. Uh, I mean, something like Me 1 versus Me 2 snooker, which you're well-known for, uh, probably one of the things you're most well-known for, <laughs> is a man playing himself at snooker. Is that not just... Is that not a bit pathetic? Just a man talking to himself alone in a basement? I thought it was pathetic until I started talking to myself in front of an audience of people. <laughs> I actually realised that is much worse. I once did uh, Me 1 versus Me 2 snooker with an audience. It's only happened once, and I genuinely felt more embarrassed 
about that than anything I've done in my life. I think they quite enjoyed it, but I just felt awful. It was terrible. Because, you know, the table wasn't... It was in Edinburgh, and they, they got me a different table, and it was really hard to pot the, the... The pockets weren't as big as the ones in my, what I have at home. And it just was going on for ages. And, you know, I think there's something in going to see a sport where people aren't very good at the sport. But maybe there needs to be two people involved for this. Because we see a lot of high-quality sport. We don't, see, we don't see sport very much where it's, you know, where just normal people play sport. You see singing competitions where people aren't very good at singing, and that's all right. But you don't get much sport where people are just mediocre at it. And I think it's kind of, there's something reassuring about going to a football match where people can't really play football. Because you go, well, that's about as good as I am. Yeah, that's good. So that's, I would enjoy that more than watching some professional football. So similarly with snooker, it's kind of quite interesting to watch someone who has to really struggle just even to pot a single red and just a smashing the ball around and then luckily it goes in. There's a, there's a jeopardy to that that you don't get in professional snooker where you pretty much know nearly every ball is going to be potted or go where it's meant to go. You are right, Richard. That's very, very interesting. <laughs> Very interesting point. But you do it quite a lot, this comedy. What, do you think that comes from that you were in a double act? Do you think that these, the way you liked... To, well, you've been in a few unsuccessful double acts. You've done uh, Stuart Lee, Rich Tang, most people don't remember that. Uh, Anne Collings and Herring, most people don't know that. Me One and Me Two, that is... And there's more than two people in that, to be fair. But, uh, but do you feel that you're harking back, you're missing... Do you feel like when you do these... In your stand-up, I've noticed there's a lot of imaginary conversations. There's two old men on the on the bonfire. They're on fire, but they still feel the cold. The reason for that is because they're old. Yes, that is a good one. Don't, don't look over your shoulder at me. Don't look <laughs> Just face me. Turn to me and face me. Uh, do it properly or not at all. Um, do you think, is it, I, no, I, mean, I, sort of, I think with the, I genuinely think with the snooker, I think there's something interesting going on there because it's about, it's a stupid thing to do it's, and it's an, annoying. Uh, to listen to and to do. So that's part... The audience is in on the joke that they are listening to something that's ostensibly quite boring. But it is about the, the struggle within a person. You know, your main competition in life is actually with yourself. And we all have a dichotomy in ourselves. I've been asked to do... There's a kind of extreme arts festival where the art that isn't allowed to go anywhere else is all shown. It's mainly naked people hitting each other with twigs. <laughs> but they've asked me to go along and play myself at snooker. <laughs> So, and I think they're correct to do that. I think it is uh, high art, and I hope to win the Turner Prize for it eventually. So, uh, but I, you know, I think there's something there, because it's uh, the relentlessness of it, the fact it just keeps going on and on, uh, that's, and it's over a massive long period of time. I think that's, it gets boring, and then it gets funny again, but also, you're still listening to it, if you are. Uh, and if you're not, you've, you've failed and have lost. So, you know, there's something in it for everyone. And just even if you're not listening to it, you know it's still there and it's annoying you that it's still going on. It's just niggling at you that it exists. So, you know, it's a sort of like a Samuel Beckett play, but with some sport in it, which makes it a bit more exciting. Because if they'd had a snooker board in Waiting for Godot, I think that would have immediately been a better play. And also the random nature of that is added in, isn't it? They're doing a play with snooker, I noticed, in... Um, Someone's written a play about snooker. I'm kind of wondering how they, how they do that. Because it would be different every... How do they play the shots so they go in the right ones? It's a good question, which I don't know. We'll have to <laughs> Google it and look into that. Um, I mean, you've done a lot of terrible things in your career. Uh, there, there's, I try to avoid doing terrible... I mean, I've been lucky, I think. I've, I've, I've managed to um, make a good living without 
having to compromise too much. I don't do adverts. Um, I mean, there's things that are, you start doing that are a bit like adverts, like advertising stuff at the start of Rich Change. Let's spread the podcast. But it's a load of junk that no one would want. So that is run, you know, basically lunatics are advertising stuff, and that's, that seems fair. It's very small businesses that are obviously going to fail anyway. So I might as well just have a few, take a few hundred quid off them to put to good use before they are bankrupt, are deservedly bankrupt. So that is a bit different. Uh, but I, no, I haven't had to make, luckily I haven't had to make many decisions. I've done, um, I did a show called uh, Best Man Speech, which I, in hindsight, wish I hadn't done. Uh, I, uh, we, early on we wrote um, for a show called Stab in the Dark, which, um, for Tracy McLeod, but uh, Michael Gove, weirdly, was on it, and David Baddiel. Um, but that was kind of amazing, because that was one of the first jobs we got where we got paid seven hundred pounds a week or something it just seemed insane to me at the time as i was living off baked potatoes and three pound bottles of wine uh so uh that was about six weeks so but the, you know so there's some shows that i think you know i haven't necessarily thought oh that's amazing but there isn't many things that i've done uh, that i am ashamed of uh, or or at least look like they were going to be good beforehand well you've done let's have a look you did um uh the the, the, the other boat race which was a sort of reality show where uh, two, team, two teams of ex-Oxford and Cambridge students rode against each other. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. I thought that was an interesting thing to do. I was, at the time, I was doing, uh, running, trying to run the marathon because I, I wanted to die. Uh, <laughs> genuinely, I, want, I hoped it would kill me. Uh, and uh, so I thought that that would be good training for, for running the marathon, which it wasn't because uh, running is mainly a leg-based event. <laughs> and rowing is all sitting down, isn't it? So it's, that is... You don't even use your legs in rowing. Well, I didn't. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I just didn't have the arms. Uh, so it, it was, you know, that's the only time I've... I, 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 most of those... I've been offered a lot of those reality shows, and I, um, I've turned all the rest of them down. Uh, I don't want to do anything where they're filming you asleep. That, for me, is too... That is a step too far. Uh, so I checked they weren't going to... Because I snore and dribble and stuff. But also, they could do anything if you were asleep, couldn't they? They could wee on your face, couldn't they? <laughs> You don't know. They're going to be filming. You don't know. So, uh, so I, it seemed like a good thing to do. And it was, I'm really glad that I did it. I met some amazing... Um, the athletes in that were amazing. Martin Cross was an inspirational man to me. But um, we met people like that. What's that guy who won all the gold medals called? We met Redgrave. Steve Redgrave. We met him. Uh, Steve Redgrave, in the first time he was there, there was a, like a dinner. And we all met him. Uh, and it was mainly a room full of comedians because a lot of comedians were doing it. Uh, and he opened up his speech by saying, I'm on a seafood diet, I see food and I eat it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that is, I agree, that is weak. It's a weak joke. I mean, just don't, you're Steve Redgrave, just do rowing and stuff. Don't, don't try and be, you're not funny. I agree, I agree with you about it. Good. Um, uh, so... Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, well, and with the, that same year, I suppose you were doing a lot, a lot of stunts. You did a show called The Twelve Tasks of Hercules Terrace, so you did some kind of crazy stuff for that, and parachute jumping. But you dated 50 women in 50 consecutive days, which is hardly even a part of the show, I know it's. Uh, but you spent a month and a half dating 50 women, uh, and then it makes five minutes of comedy in a, in a stand-up show. Well, because I was doing 12 tasks, so I, I couldn't really talk about it. When I, once I did the 50 dates with 50 with different women... As I was doing it, I thought that should have been, clearly should have been the show. Uh, but by the time I was doing it, it was too late. I was already committed to doing the 12 tasks of Hercules Terrace, but also you know, it was going to be a part of it. But yeah, it was a weird, that was an odd thing to do. I thought it would be difficult to find 50 women to date. Uh, and I, I wasn't, 
I was never good at asking people out. I never went on dates, really. I just would get drunk and hope someone would snog me uh, and then feel embarrassed if they were still there in the morning. So uh, <laughs> it was kind of weird to go on dates. And, but it was very easy to meet people to have dates. And I think nowadays it's kind of even easier because your just phones tell you once a shag and then you go and shag them. But it's... Uh, but you know, once you put this out and about, people were kind of interested in, in doing it. But uh, it, it made it, then again, it, it was a. I didn't want to do, do any stuff about it because I didn't want to. Re- re- I felt like if it was filmed, or if they knew I was going to talk about them personally, then it would that would affect the experience. So I just want to talk about that as a general thing. So I d- had a month and a half of getting very drunk, and then about another um, seven or eight months, seven or eight weeks of getting drunk and having second dates. I went out with about six women for three months. Uh, but they all knew that I was seeing other people and appreciated how difficult it was. And I did eventually go out with uh, number 47, I think it was, uh, for about a year. So it kind of, it was a good way of, you know, whittling down. It's quite, it's a, I think it's a good system. Why date six women for three months and waste a year and a half of your life when you can date six women all at the same time and just waste two months of your life? I'm not saying that dating women is a waste of time. So, you know, so it sounds like a, a, interesting. Yeah, well, it was confusing. I actually, I, I, I was thought it would show in the show how what, Hercules had impregnated 50 women in a night, which is where this came from. And I kind of thought that would sh- doing this would show what a bore and a sexist idiot uh, Hercules was. But actually, it was more confusing for me. Everyone had quite a nice time because I took them on a free date and they got free food and drink and went somewhere interesting. Uh, but I kind of was massively psychologically affected by because I met people I really liked, and then obviously a month and a half later they got married to someone else in all that time, so I couldn't go on a second date with them. So it was it was very upsetting in a lot of ways, but I found a way through the pain somehow, <laughs> mainly by getting drunk. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting, uh, and um, it's quite interesting. Uh, I think I'll go to an emergency question because it's not it wasn't that interesting. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, as nice as they are, kettle crisps are not as nice as they once were. Have I changed or have they? Don't answer, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> 
If you could travel back in time, compare any food of today with an equivalent in the past and do a taste test, which, A, which time would you go to, Richard? And, B, what food would you take back? Well, like you, I'm quite interested in kettle crisps. Uh, so that's... I felt it's a bit weird you say that, because I wonder if, we, if I could take a pack of today's kettle crisps back to 2004 and then eat and then compare that, I just would be interested to know whether I just... I don't think they're the same. I think they're different crisps. And they've taken... It's just not as nice, is it? I'm, I, am I alone in that? Has anyone else noticed that? Or is it... Do you still like kettle... Do you, I mean, maybe, because I'm in show business and stuff, I eat better crisps than you do. So maybe this is... I'm, I'm aiming above the heads of... The kind of people who'd say, you know, kettle crisps, I dream of eating it. That would be my dream, just to eat one kettle crisp in my life before I die. Interestingly, though, I mean, kettle crisps, when I went to, I went to Buckingham Palace earlier in the year for a charity dinner, weirdly, I'd been invited to, it wasn't even a charity I was involved with, really. Didn't understand I was there. And um, they had little bowls of kettle crisps in Buckingham Palace, so the Queen eats kettle crisps. So, yeah, well, you know, yeah, so what? I mean, who's saying what to who? I don't know, we both agree on this, but... If you, Richard, or you, Richard, are saying that you're above Kettle Crisp, well, Queen Elizabeth II likes them still. Unless they, were, they might have been a different kind of crisp that only she can get <laughs> that look like Kettle Crisp. I don't know. Um, have you ever put your genitals in the mouth of a dead animal? No. It was interesting you had to think about it. I did have to think about it. But I grew up in Somerset and a lot of that kind of stuff. A lot of that. I think people are very hypocritical. I've never had sex with an animal. I think a lot of people have. I think a lot of people went quiet during that bit there. <laughs> and so when they hear that David Cameron's put his cock in, possibly in a pig's mouth, part of them are going, oh, I hope no one finds out by the time I put my cock in a pig's anus that time. And I think a lot of people have done it. I, I wrote a book called Talking Cock, and there's loads of sort of sex surveys. And like in America, I think, especially in the rural parts of America, it's something like one in three people have had sex with an animal. So if you are telling me no one in this room of... Not that many people. As, <laughs> you know, I, I was surprised about that. When I booked you, I thought I'd got a guest that would be a good crossover for... I thought that's one guest that will probably appeal to the, the people who come to Rich Chains Leicester Square Theatre to get Richard Herring. Turns out that it's not. It's, it seems to me it's probably the guests that they're more... Generally, if you get a guest that they're more interested in... It is weird that, the way that the better the guest is, the more people come. That is... <laughs> That's a weird thing. Anyway, where were we? Uh, uh, well, I was asking emergency questions. Uh, so that luckily, I'll ask another one. What crimes have you got away with that you've committed and got away with? I've, I've done a lot of crimes. In fact, I did one on the way uh, here today. <laughs> I did a crime, but it was only... I didn't want to do the crime, but then I was forced to do the crime. Explain more. Uh, I was... Well, because I'm hungover, I wanted some chocolate to... Um, uh, just kind of give myself an artificial energy boost because I thought it's going to be quite difficult doing an interview with myself for an hour. I don't know I'll be able to keep that going. You're doing all right. Uh, no, thanks. That's nice of you to say so. I'm not sure the audience agree with me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I went into Sainsbury's and I got some giant uh, chocolate buttons. I like those, but only a small pack. I'm not, I'm not, the old guy used to eat sometimes eat the big pack. He's gone. Uh, but then they had some Cadbury's cream eggs, but you know, the Halloween ones, they're a bit scary. Yeah, I thought oh, that'd be that'd be a good hangover thing, and I went to pay at the checkout at the little scanning machine, and I couldn't scan the the egg because the barcode was you know the, you know it's crinkly in it, uh, 
so I just nip nip. <laughs> I tried to pay for it and then I couldn't pay for it. And what? I didn't have time. I was a bit late. I didn't have time to go up to the lady and say, can you scan this? <laughs> what if you'd been caught doing that and then you wouldn't have got in the whole... This would have all been cancelled. And you'd have had to go to court for stealing a spooky... Not even a Cadbury's cream egg. A one with a green... It had green gunk in it. It did have green Well, you know, one day you'll be caught and it will be very embarrassing for you. Not been caught so far. That is one of the many crimes I've got away with. And I, I like, you know, I taunt... The thing I like about it is I'm taunting saying, Mr. Ian Sainsbury's listening to this. What's he going to do? There's no evidence. I've eaten the evidence. I actually had a bit of the foil in my pocket, but I've managed... I've thrown that away now. I'm not going to tell you what bin it was in. So they will never... I know, this could just be a crazy joke that I've made. That's what it is. It's a crazy joke. I just, it would be embarrassing, wouldn't it, to be a 48-year-old man stealing and not even a Cadbury's cream, mate? It'll be embarrassing and then and being proud of it <laughs> on a DVD and talking about it for three or four minutes and wasting other people's time. That would be an embarrassment. It'd be awful to be that person. Yeah, I guess it would be awful. Um, have you written anything that has come true? Because I've written quite a lot of things and then they come true. Has that ever happened to you? It had that exact thing has happened to me. That's weird that you would say that. I wrote a show called uh, You Can Choose Your Friends, which is the last major thing I had on uh, telly. And uh, it was sort of based on my family, but I'd changed a lot of stuff. And I didn't... I knew some of my family members wouldn't want it to be exactly about them. But it was, it was probably um, a bit too close. So it still did upset some of my family. Uh, but uh, there was, like, weird things in that where I had a couple turning up who uh, were just pretending... They were pretending... They were getting divorced, but they were pretending they were still together because this was a big family uh, occasion. They didn't want to ruin this anniversary. And then, I've, I've, then after I'd written it, and after we'd filmed it, before it had gone out, that, that happened to what, um, a couple in my family uh, who had been, had been to my, pe my parents' uh, birthday party, one of my parents' birthday parties, and that exact thing had happened. It was weird. And in that show, I ended up dating the girl who was playing my girlfriend in the show for a bit, which was weird. And I realised that if she ever came to meet my actual family, she'd already met my actual family... <laughs> almost exactly in this kind of false thing. It was very weird. I thought there's probably a more interesting drama in the idea of someone doing that and then getting together and then meeting their family and then going back to meet the actual family and seeing what was different and what was the same. But nothing happened with the original, so it seemed, it seemed foolish to go further. Um, and I got a lot of flack in that uh, show because my character, and I was in it, was kissing this girl and everyone just said, oh, Rich Herring wrote a character just so he could kiss a girl. And... She was my girlfriend, so I, could, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> I could have taken that out. But also, I don't think you understand what being filmed, kissing someone is. It's not really, you know, unless you're into that. It's not really a very enjoyable thing to be surrounded by loads of men when you're naked in a bath with someone. Uh, I didn't, the continuity announcer did uh, say that, because uh, it's filmed from lots of different angles, when I was getting out of the bath and I was naked, uh, her view on the screen was just my penis, just uh, my whole genitals. <laughs> taking up the whole screen as though what camera on there. So, you know, that's not... If you're a certain type of person, that's a sexy thing. But it was, I didn't find it sexy. That is very interesting. But there's a lot of rumours about you doing weird stuff. Like, I've heard that you... What you like is you invite girls back to your hotel room and you sit in a high-backed armchair and then you make them dance and you masturbate while they're dancing with a semicircular toilet... <laughs> 
But there's no truth in that. That is not a true... Why would it come up, though, if it was... Why would someone make that up if it wasn't true? But it's not at all true. I don't understand. They said the same about Jim Bowen, and he, I don't think he did either. Maybe it was Jim Bowen, someone saw Jim Bowen, and we're quite similar looking, and they thought... Uh, Jim Bowen did it, they thought, oh, that's Richard Herring, got a similar sounding name. I'm not convinced I think you did it. I, de- I didn't. I, w- I would say if I did it. I didn't do it. I, I wouldn't say if it was me. I wouldn't say. If I did do that, I would pretend. What I would do is I'd go on and on about it to make it look like I didn't do it. And then people think, well, he can't do it because why would he go on about it? And that would be clever double bluffing. But I wouldn't do that because that would be stupid because then that might come up and then people would think you did, that I did do it and I haven't ever, I've never done anything like that. So it's interesting, that's all I'm saying. Uh, why can't everyone be babies? Good, wouldn't it? It would be quite good. I like have got a baby and she's quite good fun. If everyone was a baby, that would be, I've thought the same thing actually. If that would be, it'd be fun, everyone would be, I mean, they'd all die, but... <laughs> Just for a day, everyone was a baby again. Just the world would be at peace. It would be beautiful and smell a lot and be quite annoying. And then it, all the babies would die. And then the human rice would be wiped out, which would be good. Let's face it. Um, good, good answer. Uh, yeah, well, a lot of these questions, of course, you have answered in your own... Because you asked the question in order to tell people some story you imagine is amusing. That is true, Richard. Uh, <laughs> what would you rather have? Would you rather have a tit that dispenses talcum powder or a finger that could travel through time? Well, I would like to have uh, the... Uh, I've thought about this one a lot because I've heard this on other episodes. I would like the talcum powder, which no one chooses because this week, and I've... Sorry, sorry that I've forgotten your name, but someone emailed me to tell me that ta- with talcum powder, if you use talcum powder, you can get sand off your feet really easily. So I would do that. So that I don't ever go anywhere where there's sand, but it would just be knowing that if I was on a beach and there was all sand on you, you could just tap, do talcum powder, it comes straight off. That's quite an interesting fact. It's an interesting fact. No one has ever come up with that fact. Even Stephen Fry, who was on here, he didn't come up with that. So you are cleverer than Stephen Fry. I am. What's, what's it like being Stephen Fry? I, I, I imagine it's not quite good most of the time, but then sometimes you get a bit depressed. I think that's, that's probably accurate. So uh, that is... What's it like being Richard Herring? That's a good question. I should ask that to everyone. And not that, but about themselves. I'd be, I'd be interested to know what they think. A lot of my time's taken up masturbating in hotel rooms to dancing women. And then, and then thinking, why did I do that? I could have had sex with them. What a waste of my one shot for this two-day period. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it's good, I, you know, it's sort of weird. I think, like, I was... Um, I was probably went through a period in the last ten years where I got a bit depressed about maybe things not going as well as I want them or not. Uh, you know, things seemed to be progressing and then they seemed to... The rug was pulled out from under 
my feet a little bit. But I, I think actually I've been very fortunate with that. In the, this, is this is this the serious bit where you get me to open up and be uh, say something? So, yeah, it is. A, it's a clever question a child asks me. Uh, it is, it's a clever question because you do. Thought, I know. I think I'm in a, a lucky position where I'm um, making my own stuff, and most people don't know who I am which is actually quite good. I think when you're a younger person, you sort of think, oh, well, it'd be great to be famous, it'd be great to be the most successful person or whatever you're doing. But I think it's kind of much nicer not being famous. You need to be a little bit known so that people will still come and see you. <laughs> uh, so there's a, there's a trade-off to it. But it's actually that being in this position where I can do exactly what I want to do and have autonomy over pretty much everything I do um, and still make a living doing it and, still, yeah, and I've got a family now, of course, which is uh, very nice. So I'm in a much better place than I've, I've, I've been, I think. Uh, do you ever feel jealous of all the other people you've worked with who are doing much better than you are? No, I'm very happy for all of them. <laughs> I am pretty, genuinely pretty happy for everyone. It's sort of a, a weird thing, you know, you are, but I think you're also aware that it's, there's just, I think you realise the sort of luck involved and maybe the hard work involved or the, or the dedication. I think sometimes with people it's... Um, You've got to be so focused, I think, on, on wanting to... If it's such a competitive uh, industry that you've got to be so focused and maybe just think about yourself uh, that much. I'd rather, I'd rather be, you know, less... I'd be, I'd, I'm glad I'm less ambitious than I used to be, I think, and I'm glad that I'd, ra I'd rather do the stuff and be generous and help other people out uh, above myself because, you know, rather than be a, a prick. Which some of them are. <laughs> which ones? Which ones are the pricks? <laughs> Some of them, that's all. There's some of them there turn out to be pricks, but most of them are all right. Uh, so uh, let's. What is the worst emergency you've ever been involved in? That is a great emergency question, which I should ask because it's literally an emergency question. That is what's. That is, I find that more satisfying than the audience do. Um, I've, been, I've been in many emergencies. I did. Uh, I did allude to in one podcast. I was when I was uh, 19. I went uh, to on um, Cap America. Uh, my year off, which is when they, they get loads of kids from Europe to go to America to work for no money in horrible camps where they send their... It's kind of, you know... I mean, it's not a good thing being in any kind of camp, is it? Sending people to a camp is generally <laughs> a bad idea, I would say. So, But they send all their kids away for a, a few weeks or a month or so so they can enjoy themselves. And being a parent now, I can understand. Uh, but uh, we, had, we, were, we were in a weird situation. Most of them are quite rich uh, families sending their kids to Central America where it's quite boring and not, not Central America the Midwest of America uh, this one was in uh, California in the Redwood Forest and it was all the kids from Oakland and San Francisco it was quite a lot of quite rough kids who'd had a difficult upbringing so that was I think the next year someone got shot by one of the kids uh, on an on a archery range or something but like properly shot uh, and uh, so there was, it was a little bit rough but that wasn't there was a big on the last day of the camp there was a massive fire we had a big party and in this cabin in the woods and then something, someone had knocked something over and there, this cabin went on fire and everyone got away and everyone was safe but we were woken up really drunk because we'd been in a party uh, and looking up at the hill and wet redwood trees exploding in fire uh, aware that the nearest uh, fire brigade was 200 miles away. Uh, so we had to kind of try and put out the fire ourselves. Uh, and I was generally thought, I'm definitely going to die now. This is definitely the end. But luckily it rained that day. Everyone was a bit damp. And we did manage to contain it by the time the 
the fire brigade arrived. But that was quite a bad emergency, and luckily all the kids had gone home. So it was, uh, it was a, if there was going to be a massive fire at the camp, that was the best time for it to happen. But no one died, so, you know, that's all right. What an interesting story. I can't believe you've never written a script about that. <laughs> uh, quite a few people have written... Uh, there's been a couple of sitcoms about... Um, summer camp, which is annoying, because I think I could do well uh, on that, but uh, there we go. Uh, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about your career. How long have we... Let's, uh, just out of interest, though, how long have we uh, done uh, so far? Let's have a look. Just knock some stuff over. Well, no, we're doing... That's pretty impressive. Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for two hours. <laughs> about 45 minutes I can't believe it we haven't got we haven't talked about anything uh, uh, yet uh, well like you know is it weird having been in a double act and then going solo because I think you didn't want to do I think it's, it's obviously like you didn't enjoy stand up the first time round and you stopped doing stand up and then you came back to stand up and was there, there was a difficult period I think where everyone was because Stuart Lee who'd worked with was suddenly doing very well and people were saying that you yeah well it was weird I got like uh, reviews saying I'd copied Stuart uh, I think from people who didn't realise that we'd worked together for 10 years or maybe just thought that because they saw him first that he must have done all the stuff. And a lot of the things were, came from a, you know, a joint perspective. There were, I think in those early routines, going back and doing the 12 shows, I think the only one I think actually that is copied off Stuart Lee uh, is the Handjob Centre one I did, which is exactly like The Boy Who Cried Wolf, which is one of his routines. But apart from that, uh, I don't think, you know, I, don't, I think we were coming from a similar place. And I think it was an interesting Lee and Herring gig we did, and I think it was in Gravesend. It's wherever Pocahontas is buried. Uh, and there was a bit in the show, this Lee and Herring show, where I had to push the thing as far as I could, and Stu would be affronted and tell me at the sharp, and I had to offend the audience. And that usually worked, and then I got chastised. And I would come up with something horrible. But in Gravesend, whatever I said, the audience loved it. <laughs> and and I, I, I had to go further, because I had to get to this point where I had to upset them. So I was talking about digging up Pocahontas and fucking her in her eye holes. <laughs> and, uh, and they were still just, they were going, yeah. And, they, and whilst she was going, no, no, they were going, no, yeah, do more, do more. And so we got this weird position with an audience where we were complicit in this thing. It was like being with your group of friends where you can be... You can say something really offensive because your friends know it's a joke and, you know, you're in a safe environment and it's not going to... I mean, in the modern world, no, nowhere's safe anymore with the thought police, am I right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it became this weird, complicit thing. And I think both of us, for that, that was like... I think a lot of the stuff we subsequently did where we pushed the boundaries of something... For example, I mean, I, th- I don't even watch Stuart's stuff because I don't want to get, conf- get, get, get compared. But I think he does that thing about um, vomiting into the anus of Jesus... And I did a routine about uh, fucking the stigmata of Jesus. And people felt, oh, well, that's obviously the same. They, he's copied that. Uh, but I'd never seen Stu's routine. So it was, it was, it, it could, both those routines, I think, came from that shared experience of... I mean, no one says that anymore because uh, my stuff's not that good. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, let's... Uh, there was there's sort of weird... There was also, I guess, this weird thing in uh, Fist of Fun where you... Um, you're a very, very fascinating character. There's so many things I could talk to you about. Uh, you had a Julia Sawala shrine in, uh, in Fist of Fun. Yeah, well, I'd always fancied the actress Julia Sawala since she was in Press Gang, which I'd watched as a... I must have been about 21 or something. It was a kid's show. But, you know, it was, great. It was very sophisticated. The bloke who wrote Doctor Who wrote it. It's very, cl- it's very clever. Uh, and uh, she was... I, you know, I was fascinated by it. I thought she was beautiful and funny. And uh, we, I did a joke in Fist of Fun about... Uh, wanting to pretending she was my girlfriend and wanting to 
I think the joke was essentially I was going to kidnap her and keep her in a well. Uh, but in the, it was a different time in the 1990s, and that was... You can't judge entertainers of the past by what we... Nowadays, obviously, most people think keeping kidnapped women in wells is bad. But in the, in the 1990s, most entertainers were doing that, and that was just... So that was... And I wasn't doing it, I was just joking about it. Uh, and uh, so we had this shrine, and it was a, a big joke. But then I wrote a play called uh, Excavating... Rita that we did in Edinburgh and then we were hoping to do it in London and we did a rehearsed reading of it and um, I can't remember why but for some reason we sent the script to Julia Swala I think it was because I wanted to meet her and have sex with her. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, she loved the play and she came and did this play and then we, we'd done the rehearsals and done the performance and um, she, we, you know, we sort of, she, was, she found out about this sketch that we'd done because Paul Putner said what do you think about it what do you think about uh, that sketch? Uh, and uh, she didn't know about the sketch, which I can't understand that. Right? She'd never heard this sketch. You'd think someone might mention that. That's why I didn't. I mean, she was an, an unusual woman. Uh, and one, she's a wonderful woman, but like, I thought you would just think someone would go, you know, there's a guy doing a sketch about wanting to keep you in a well. If you, if you ever meet that guy, probably don't. Run away from him because I think uh, so. She got upset about this and uh, stormed out of the pub. And then she came back and said, "Oh, the reason I was so upset is because I really fancy you. I was hoping we might hook up," which was a bit of a turnaround because that is not supposed to happen, right? The, your fantasy does not come alive and ask you out. So I ended up going out with Julius Wilder, which was a very surreal thing. And I emailed Stu, who's in Australia, and I said, um, "You know, I think I'm going out with Julius Wilder." And Stu genuinely thought I was mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> The TV show's been cancelled. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a race, but that was again. This was this thing where sometimes something happens, and I've had that a lot in my life where you, you do you write something or you, and then it sort of happens, and you have to, it's very surreal. Uh, weirdly, with that, I kind of had had, I'd had one of those dreams where you um, you sort of keep on waking up in the dream, you know. I can't remember what, and and, and uh, that hardly ever happens to me. The week that I met Julius Wilde, I'd had one of these dreams, and so I was quite convinced. That I was still in, you know, I was just in a very long part of the dream. I was going to wake up, oh God, yeah, so of course that was ridiculous. So, so I did. I ended up going out with Julia for about 18 months. It was insane. But that's, uh, you know, well done for showing off about that. Uh, <laughs> um, and what are, you working on, what are you working on at the moment, Richard? I mean, it's, uh, it's ending in the future. I'm doing a uh, podcast called Rich Chang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. <laughs> which I interview, generally I interview other people I would say that is a better idea uh, I, uh, I, there's lots of things I kind of want to do I think I waste a lot of my time doing stupid things that are of no value, I write a blog, I've written a blog every day for 13 years I think now it is, uh, coming up and uh, do lots of stupid podcasts I really want to do a podcast of the two old men on the bonfire as a sitcom, I genuinely want to do that as an audio thing, which is a no one will listen to. It's a waste of my time. I've been commissioned to write a sitcom for Channel 4 uh, about uh, alternate universes, but it's really hard. It's really hard to write stuff, so I'd just rather play with my daughter and, and miss dick around in a theatre testing people's patience. <laughs> well, good luck. Well, you should write that. You should write, try and write the, the thing. Uh, you've been on Celebrity Mastermind and Pointless... Yeah, I really don't like to talk about those. <laughs> okay, we'll respect that. And will there be any more Collings and Herring podcasts? Is that? 
I don't think they will. It's a shame. We, we I enjoyed doing those, and I think um, I think at the end it kind of came to a natural end. It probably should have ended a little bit earlier. Uh, it came to an end because we had a disagreement about whether Andrew should have been carrying on doing the Six Music Show without me. But it was, you know, that I think in the end he didn't want to do it anymore. But it, that I think that was very important um, time in my career because I think I realised the the power of being able to do stuff completely on my own and. The nice thing about that is it was really easy to do. It was lots of fun, and you know, we're still like Andrew, and we had a little bit of a spat, but it's it's um, it's like water under the bridge, really. But I don't think he I think he realised it wasn't for him either because it became a bit too much. He's a serious journalist, and it become if he turns into being a, a kind of comedy character. So I don't think he wants to do any more of those. But it, that's where the Less Square Thick podcast came from because I sort of thought, how can I carry on doing that sort of thing? But you know without Andrew Collins in it. Should have thought about that a long time before. Why, why don't I put some actual comedians in it? Uh, and uh, that worked out well. So, and, and so that led, I mean, I suppose it also led on to As It Occurs To Me, which I'm kind of hoping to do as a video monthly thing. Um, it's, been, it's exciting do, doing all these things via... Um, via the, <laughs> this, is, this is so stupid. I know. It really is. Uh, <laughs> it really is. I know. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, no, but it's gone. You know, I've done Rich Chang's Meaning of Life, which again was it's sort of testing the water of doing a stand-up and sketch show cheaply on the internet. I think it cost us about twenty-five thousand pounds to do that, which we covered via people donating uh, badge money and coming to see it. And it kind of didn't quite work, but it's an it's an interesting. I mean, and certainly, I think people didn't get into it as much as some of the other things, as as it occurs to me, for example, which I think people really did get into because it may be a bit easier to ingest. Uh, but it sort of shows the possibilities, I think, and that's what I think is exciting about the internet is that we have these possibilities to be autonomous and to be creative. If people, the lovely people who give to Kickstarter and uh, the badges carry on giving, we can carry on doing more stuff. So that uh, is, is interesting. Um, well, I don't think that's for you to say. <laughs> I think it is for me to say. When you put your cutlery in the dishwasher, I do the same as you. Uh, okay. <laughs> You are correct. Do you have a favourite towel? Yes, I do. And you've Android Vincent wiped his ass from that. We all know about that. Uh, <laughs> which celebrity would you like to stroke your hair as you die? That's a very good question. I haven't thought about that one. Um, I I'm looking the wrong way. I would. I just. I had to look over there to just think about. Which celebrity would you like? Uh, I'm probably the same as you. Uh, okay, I would like. I think I'd like the actress Emma Chan from uh, Humans to stroke my hair as I die, but as a robot. I want to be in character as a robot as she dies. I don't want her doing it. I reckon she'll be boring. But I think as a robot, she's stroking my head and, and her eyes are glowing. Oh, it is all right, Richard. You are going to die. You can activate my sexual functions now if you like. Just, be- just before you die, I'm not sure I can. St- Get the. I'm now being Emma Chan, so I'm not being him. I'm being Emma. I'm not sure. No, I'm being me. I'm not sure I've got enough strength to Emma to uh, Anna to. Oh God! Suddenly it's Emma Kennedy. This is the problem with. <laughs> oh whatever. Uh, I'm about to die. Come on, we might as well. Let's just do it once, just to see what. I've not got. There's a scratch card. I haven't got enough energy. Don't worry about it. It was a. It was a bad bit. Um, it was. It was a bad bit. Uh, and uh, God, just looking at the time. That's an hour. Does that feel like an hour to you? It's almost haunting. Uh, Who do you think is the biggest prick who comes to Left Square Theatre? That is a hard question. I mean, there's so much. It is hard, isn't it, to choose 
I love all this. I love all of those those guys. And this bloke here, he's not been here before. Just, have you been before? Yeah, have you, you've just got... No, I know, yeah, yeah, but it's... Is it, how do you, do you... Is it your older lover, this guy, or is he? Oh, yeah. no, he's oh, he's your dad, yeah. Is he your older lover? <laughs> he's divorced. Hey, yeah. Yeah. That's why you're doing this as if I'm going to... Hey, Rich, I'm divorced. <laughs> Emma Chan, mate. Emma Chan. I'm not, you haven't got a chance. It's you. If I'm going to leave my wife for someone, it's not going to be you. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh, well, it's been very interesting uh, talking to you, Richard, and being interviewed by you. Well, good cover, because uh, you started off being me, didn't you? I did, and then I, I turned it around. Um, there's so much more we could talk about. There's so much, many more stuff we could talk about. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Yes, there is. Uh, let's, have a, let's have a look and see. Well, we covered most of the things in here. Oh, I'll tell you what we haven't covered, though, uh, Richard, is... I don't, have you heard of the website Dirty Brit Confrontation? <laughs> I have. I've heard of it. Yeah, I, I read that quite regularly for some reason. Because, um, uh, actually, there is some new... They've opened it up again recently, and there are some new ones. So let's have a look and see if they're here. Uh, if I can find it. I might have to, might have to go back in and search for it again. Um, so, uh, yeah, you are in here. It's amazing the people in here. I don't know if you've... Uh, you probably many of you have been to, to look at it, but there is... The Captain Mannering's in there, I think. I mean, that's, uh, and Diane Morgan isn't in there. I despair, I despair of the perverts of this country. I really do. I mean, Joe Wilkinson's in there and Diane Morgan isn't in there. That does not make sense to me. That does not make any kind of sense. Uh, so I'll just find... There's some, I'm getting to that. Richard Herring. So these are the new ones. Um, I want Richard Herring to bend me over a snooker table and com- commentate while he fucks me. <laughs> well, it's a called snooker board, so I could never have sex with someone. Uh, this one might come up uh, in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, I want David Mitchell to slowly emerge from a giant vat of mayonnaise into the waiting arms of an oily and excited Richard Herring. <laughs> who proceeds to lick the mayonnaise off of David Mitchell's semi-gelatinous body, except for his anus. (laughs) After that, they have unlubricated sex and talk about the Bible. (laughs) They are both ashamed and beg God for forgiveness. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that's... I think some people have worked out that... If they write something funny on there, there's a chance I'll read out on the podcast. I'm sure that isn't the case. I'm sure that is, that is a genuine fantasy. Uh, Herring's attempt at a Scottish accent, it's called a Scotch accent, you don't know, makes me laugh so much I find myself thinking about sitting on his face just to shut him up. If you're literally sitting on my face, that would be weird. Uh, I, I want Richard Herring to grow back his Hitler moustache and then rim me with it. Yeah. Ak ya, Richard. Ak ya. Um, will, do you think you'll ever grow back the Hitler moustache? I don't think I will, but I have said that a few times and then have had to grow it back for shows. But I think that that is the last time uh, I will have the Hitler moustache, which was as uh, interesting a point as I was making, was a pathetic and puerile thing to do. Uh, I like to lie on my bed with my, turn my laptop on its side and read about Rich Tang's day on his blog while I rub my cock. That has really ruined the whole process of writing a blog. <laughs> Why is he putting the laptop on its side? And uh, 
ruin it. I want Richard Herring to test me on A-level calculus questions. He'd spank me if I got it wrong and fuck me if I got it right. It's a win-win situation. Um, yeah, it does, it does, yeah, does it make you feel cheap? It does make me feel cheap and disgusting, but I like that, so it's nice. It's interesting. It's better that they do it there, isn't it? There, than come out of their homes. <laughs> And get involved with anything else. Um, so I don't know. If, well, I suppose I should. Uh, suppose I should uh, stop looking over there and ask you this uh, question: Would you rather date a man who uh, was a six-foot-tall penis, or a man who, instead of having penis, he had a tiny man? Which of those two? Well, I'm married, Richard. So I would. Well, imagine your wife has died. You've got a few months to go. In like maybe two or three weeks, you've got. You've got over it. You're back on the... You're back... I mean, she was annoying, right? So there, there's... It'd be disappointing, you know, in a lot of ways. But look at the positive side. Uh, and uh, so you're back on the date. Which would you rather, out of those, uh, those two, would you rather... Someone had an interesting question about this, but I've forgotten what it was. Uh, so um, I think... I, I mean, no one goes for the big penis guy, which, you know, I think I feel sorry for the big, the big penis guy. I think the man with the little tiny man is a kind of weird situation. So, I, you know, I'd like... I don't think... If, if you've got nice personality, the penis man, that's, I think you would overcome the embarrassment of it. I know plenty of people that like penises who walk around... Anyway, so why not? I saw someone did send me a link where you can buy... I don't know why you'd want this, but you can buy a mask that is the head of a penis. Like a realistic head of a penis. So maybe I'll buy one of those and test that out. Maybe I can get my wife to wear that mask. I'll walk around and see how that's going. If I don't like it so much, I'll try and you know, keep her alive and stuff. So that I don't have to resort. Because I think it's either that guy or a, or a penis guy. And I think I'd rather stay with my wife overall. Overall, she's quite... We've done all right together. So, um, yeah, well, look, we're going to have to end because it's time to kick everyone out of the theatre. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, what, what do you think the audience are thinking at the moment? I don't know. I don't, Richard, I really don't know what to think. Uh, but it's been very nice to, uh, to do this. Thank you very much, Richard, for coming in. It's been uh, really lovely uh, for you to come. Seriously, no problem at all. That is, it's been, it's been. Is it? Do I get the two hundred and fifty quid that the guests should that we should have had here would have got? Yes, you do. That's the only reason I've done it. Uh, will you please give a big round of applause to my guest this week, Richard Herring from Richardhering.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.